0: this is mo and this is sarah and you're listening to the podcast bird Shit. we started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world hey everybody welcome to Birdshit podcast we are super excited no i don't want to say that because i always say we're super excited but we are
1: you can just say you can just say this week we are emphatic about talking about some famous birds. Um, We had a poll on our Instagram earlier this week as if we should talk about famous birds or we should talk about ways to attract birds to your yard. Um, Famous birds barely went out. We'll probably do a podcast of the other one very soon, but today we are going to talk about some famous birds throughout history. All real birds. We talked about doing some fake birds,
0: like my favorite cereal bird, Toucan Sam. In that Instagram poll when I was scrolling through who voted for what, it's very clear what birders voted for and what non-birders <laughs> voted for. What did birders vote for? <laughs> All the birders wanted to know how to attract more birds to their yard, and everyone who like doesn't give a shit about birding was like, tell us about famous birds. So I guess we just have more non-birders that listen to our podcast or at least that vote on Instagram. Hey,
1: but that's what our podcast is for. Birders, non-birders, experienced birders. Anyone who likes birds. Birds themselves.
0: Yeah. Oh, we should play our podcast
1: for some birds. Dude, I will. Yeah? Yeah, I'll just blast it in my backyard and see what birds come. And what neighbors yell. Uh, no, our neighbors. I never see our neighbors. The house on the left side of us is like a duplex and I've never seen them. And the house on the right is empty. Maybe I should just turn that house into like a giant bird cage, break a window, and like just allow birds to live in there. Great. Excellent idea. Hmm. It'd be an easy way to get free bird noises for a podcast.
0: <laughs> Good way to gather up some recordings.
1: I think one of the most famous birds we should talk about, which isn't one bird, but actually a movie, is the classic Alfred Hitchcock horror film released in 1963 based on the novel by Daphne du Murier, named The Birds. So this is a classic horror film that uh, has the premise of a young socialite named Melanie Daniels, who's played by Tippi Hedren, pursuing a love interest named Mitch Brunner, played by Rod Taylor, in a small coastal town of Bodega Bay And the birds are not into their fucking romance. They hate them. So, though the motivation for the birds attacking isn't quite made clear, it's basically the whole plot of the movie is that Tippi Hedren shows up in this small town. She's brought some lovebirds that, you know, her, the man she's interested in wanted to buy. And then all of a sudden she, like, is in on a boat coming into the town. She gets attacked by seagulls. So, um, and then throughout the movie, they are just, like, viciously attacked and threatened by crows, seagulls, and sparrows, along with, like, a couple similar species of birds. Um, though it's not one specific famous bird, I think this movie has garnered a lot of attention and is the impetus for a lot of people's fear of birds. So, I would like to talk about some fun facts about this movie as well, because it's kind of fucking insane, some of the things. So, the actor who played the main love interest mitch brenner the actor's name is rod taylor claims that the seagulls who were used in the movie for you know being shown as attacking the people were fed a mixture of wheat and whiskey it was the only way to get them to stand around so much
0: that's legit (laughs) what i happens to me when i drink a lot of beer and eat a lot of bread (laughs) i just like stand around in like a coma like dude i fucking love carbs (laughs)
1: i know i think that's insane though that like they're like oh yeah we're just gonna basically get these birds really drunk and they'll hang around with us like
0: although now that i think about it it's probably probably wouldn't be beer for me my chosen wheat would probably also be the form of whiskey so it would really just be whiskey and whiskey that would be my preferred
1: form of carbs is whiskey and then like as the night go out, goes on, maybe
0: like prosecco, they or maybe like meat. maybe like you know how they do like shot skis. Oh God! I want like uh three shot glasses inside a giant soft pretzel, like in the holes. Oh my God! That would be the perfect wheat and whiskey. That would be amazing. Why haven't we done that?
1: I don't know. We should start doing that. Also, what do, do you- we call it? I don't know if we should call it like three knots. Because you get three oh. shots of, like, whiskey and then, like, a knotted pretzel.
0: Yeah. Three I knots.
1: I don't know. But that would be pretty good. Oh. Now, Anyways. whenever I have a pretzel, I'm going to think about doing shots of whiskey, which is not bad. Another fun fact about this movie uh, that was revealed on the Dick Cavett show in 1968 is that Alfred Hitchcock revealed they used 3,200 birds that were trained for the movie, which is insane. That is an wow. insane amount of birds to use in a movie.
0: 3,200 birds. Yeah,
1: that's insane. He said the ravens were the cleverest and the seagulls were the most vicious. Yeah. Yeah, which I could totally see. Which I could totally see.
0: That movie definitely freaked me out. I don't know if it made me scared of birds, but it just made me, like, very wary of, of crows in particular. Like, I watched that movie... And then I woke up the next day, and I was, like, looking out my bedroom window. Like, I literally just woken up, and a crow was flying right at my bedroom window. And then at the last second, like, turned up, and I was like, oh, my God. The fucking birds, they're out there. They're coming for us.
1: Dude, that would have terrified me.
0: Well, speaking of smart corvids, which is the species that includes crows, jays, magpies, and ravens, our next famous bird is Jimmy the raven. Jimmy was a raven, sometimes called Jimmy the Crow, who appeared in more than 1,000 feature films from the 1930s through the 1950s. Damn. I know, right? He's a famous crow Uh, raven. He was a raven, but people call him a crow because, you know, they They don't don't know know the the difference. difference. Yeah. But he was a raven. He first appeared alongside Gene Arthur, Lionel Barrymore, Jimmy Stewart, and Edward Arnold in Frank Capra's film, You Can't Take It With You. After that, Capra cast Jimmy the Raven in all of his movies. Uh, his other famous roles included being Uncle Billy's pet in *The Building and Loan* in *It's a Wonderful Life*.
1: Love that movie.
0: Oh, so good. Cry Love every it. time. Yep. Oh my God. I, I cry in the opening credits of that movie.
1: I cry in the opening credits of that movie as well every time, and it's very similar. I always cry in *Up* too. In oh, the opening credits. Yes.
0: So the other role that Jimmy had that he was famous for was he was the crow that landed on the scarecrow in *The Wizard of Oz*. Oh damn. Of his role in It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart said, when they call Jimmy, we both answer. Uh, Jimmy Stewart <laughs> also said that the Raven was, quote, the smartest actor on the set because he often had fewer retakes than his human counterparts uh, when they were filming. God, Jimmy Stewart was the best. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart was the best. I mean, anyone who could have that much respect for a crow, like, you're cool. I don't know. I had a huge crush on him when I was young. I still have a crush on Jimmy Stewart. Yeah,
1: as I get older, I think it's really validated i'm like yeah sarah you should have had a crush on men like 40 years older than you
0: <laughs> so jimmy belonged to animal hollywood trainer curly Tweeford, who found the bird in the mojave desert in 1934 curly trained jimmy to do tricks that would make him appealing to movie directors typing opening letters and even riding a tiny motorcycle okay
1: how is that appealing like what in what movie are we required to have a raven ride a tiny motorcycle
0: <laughs> I think that the problem is that I've not seen this in enough movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where some animal is riding a mini motorcycle.
0: Yeah, like, and, and aside from Stuart Little, I can't think of a single one. Um, What was the... There was a book
1: about a mouse who rode a motorcycle.
0: The mouse and the motorcycle. Yeah. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of.
1: No, I think of Jimmy Stewart or Jimmy Stewart. <laughs>
0: Stuart Little. I think in Jimmy <laughs> Stewart <laughs> <Stuart> Little. Oh! <gasps> We should make a movie oh. about a mouse that talks like this.
1: Yes, yeah, that you oh my god, remember how we talked about your impressions? I think, I think that one, I have, can't even describe it, but it was really, it was definitely Jimmy
0: Stewart. It was Jimmy Stewart Little. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, now I, now I can't stop thinking about Jimmy Stewart as like a mouse.
0: Oh, he'd be so cute, he'd wear like a little collared shirt and he'd have... A long, gangly torso. Oh like my a god! Mouse doesn't have.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Hollywood, if you're listening,
0: Jimmy Stewart, little. <laughs> Anyways, more animals riding tiny motorcycles. We need to see that. Yeah. So also directors get that in there. Uh, and and it, it is commonly known that corvids are known for their intelligence, and Jimmy definitely exemplified these kind of smart that these birds are known for. He understood several hundred words, but his trainer said that only about fifty of them were quote unquote useful. Uh, he was a quick learner, and he only needed about a week to learn a new useful word, two weeks if it had two syllables. So I'm assuming useful was like things that would be used in a movie, yeah. even though he probably understood other words. He just didn't know that they were associated with actions or something, maybe. Um, another cool thing about Jimmy the Raven is that for his 200 hours of work entertaining veterans after the war, he received a Red Cross gold medal.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, I know. He was he was an American hero. Uh, you can find his footprints enshrined in a cement at a large Los Angeles pet store alongside Lassie and other famous Hollywood animal stars. His last film was Three Ring Circus in 1954, and no one really knows what happened to him after that. Uh, his handler died two years later in 1956, and all we can hope is that Jimmy found a nice resting place after a career in the movies.
1: Yeah, wow. That was a little more ominous than I imagined, where he just kind of disappears.
0: He just, you know, he couldn't handle the big times. Yeah, he just had to retreat to his home in Malibu and just live out the rest of his days in solitude.
1: Oh. Well, we're going to talk about another bird that was widely known for its intelligence. So we're going to talk about Alex the African Grey Parrot.
0: I love these birds. Oh
1: my gosh, they're so cool. So Alex was a grey parrot who was the subject of a 30-year experiment conducted by animal psychologist Irene Pepper Burt on avian intelligence. So we're going to give a little background about this species because they're really cool. So gray parrots, also known as African grays, actually includes two parrot species, the gray and timnae parrots, and is native to a wide range of Africa. The most numerous subspecies, which is the P. erythacus, sometimes known as the Congo African gray, is silvery gray in color, and the color is darker on its head and wings and lightens on the belly. They prefer to live in lowland rainforest and nest on the top of trees and live in a large communal groups. Now, this particular parrot, Alex, was purchased in a Chicago pet store, and through the innovative training techniques conducted by the researchers, he learned more than 100 words for objects, actions, and colors, and even exhibited an understanding in mathematics, such as counting. An example of his intellect included when he would be shown a blue paper triangle. He could tell an experimenter what color the paper was, what shape it was, and, after touching it, what it was made of. Which is kind of crazy. Dr. Pepperberg stated that Alex seemed to show the intelligence level of a five-year-old human and even the emotional level of a two-year-old.
0: I did not have that kind of intelligence when I was five. Oh my god, no. If someone showed me a blue triangle, I probably would have ate it.
1: Um, sadly though, on September six, two thousand and seven, after stating to his trainer the night before, You be good, see you tomorrow. I love you. Alex the parrot passed away due to natural causes at the age of thirty one.
0: When I read that quote the first time, it like my heart like shattered into a thousand. Isn't pieces. that so sad? I want to like say that to my kids when they go to bed. You, you be good. good, see you tomorrow. I love you. I
1: know isn't that the sweetest thing ever? and it came from it's a so parrot. Sweet.
0: I know. It's so sweet.
1: So Alex. That is
0: the emotional. That to me is like the emotional level of an 80 year old. Yeah. That's not a two year old.
1: Well, I mean, it is. Children are very, very affectionate and loving. But like, I don't know. I feel like it has so much wisdom behind it.
0: It's very complex.
1: It is. Alex was a pioneer for advancing the perceptions of avian intelligence and continues to instill curiosity and awe in the ability of birds. However, this species faces great threats from the illegal pet trade and environmental loss and are currently listed as endangered in one of their largest habitat areas. So we just wanted to kind of make you aware of how the illegal pet trade can impact species. And if you want to learn more about how to help, there are several organizations dedicated to saving these parrots, along with other endangered parrot species, one of which is the World Parrot Trust. We'll include a link to it on our website and where we post this. And it'd be really cool to save more insanely intelligent African gray parrots like Alex.
0: R.I.P. Alex. Yeah. See you tomorrow. You be good. Love you. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about penguins in captivity before. Roy and Silo, they were the gay chinstrap penguin pair that lived in the New York Central Zoo. We covered them in our gay birds episode. Uh, and today we're going to talk about another species of penguins. Uh, Pierre, who died in 2016, was a 33-year-old African penguin who was the first penguin to have bald spots restored. Pierre was believed to have molted his last feathers in June of 2004, and he didn't grow anymore. He had bald spots on his chest and his back and his entire tail and head. There wasn't a blood infection or anything, and they thought that the problem might be like a low-grade kidney issue. So wait, are you telling me that it's not okay for penguins to be bald? I'm telling you it is absolutely not okay for penguins <laughs> to be bald. And here's why. So the problem was, oddly enough, um, the biggest problem that he faced was being too cold. Oh. I know. So it was a cold penguin. So he was shivering and he didn't want to go in the pool because uh, he would just get too cold, which is actually a good thing because it might have caused hypothermia if he stayed in there for too long. So even though he was the alpha male of the colony at the zoo, he started to become really antisocial and the other penguins would actually like shun him. Like they didn't want anything to do with is him. Is this
1: like when you're like your one friend who's like, I don't want to go swimming today and everyone's like, get in the pool, get in the pool, you're
0: being a dick, get in the pool. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah, and his friends, like, didn't want to push him in. But I think it's also just, like, any guys out there who are going through balding, like, this is sort of, like, a trigger, right? Like, I should have said that. Like, if you're balding, this might be a trigger because, you know, this bald penguin was being ostracized by his friends and family, and no one loved him. So just watch out. Trigger. Uh, So Pam Schaller, the senior aquatic biologist at the zoo, tried warming Pierre with a heat lamp and a few hormonal treatments to help him get his feathers grow back, but no dice. Thinking about how deep water divers stay warm in the water inspired her to try putting Pierre in a wetsuit. She worked with Oceanic Worldwide, a wetsuit manufacturer, and a children's costume seamstress by the name of Celeste Argyll. The wetsuit they designed was a vest with holes in it for his wings so he could move them around freely. It was made of 3 millimeter thick neoprene that allowed for a wet, dry movement and warmth. The colors, white, brown, and black, all drew attention when they were testing them, but black seemed to draw the least attention, so they decided to choose that for the color. And the vest was secured uh, with Velcro vertically down his back so he could gain or lose weight and not have to get a new vest. Six weeks after they put his vest on, Pierre started to show signs of feather recovery and the vest was removed. He regained his respect from the rest of the colony as the leader and resumed his duty overseeing his 11 fellow African penguins. Yay, Pierre.
1: Dude, okay, so do you think he just needed, like, a thunder vest? Or, like, when someone goes out with a wig and they're like, no, I've got
0: this. I feel like when you buy a new outfit and you put it on and you're like, I'm going to fucking slay. And that was Pierre in his wetsuit. I
1: kind of equate it to a Thunder Vest for dogs where he just like got it on. He was like, man, I feel really comfortable and I forgot how much I
0: missed the water. Maybe, but I I associate Thunder Vest with like, I mean, maybe he was dealing with some kind of anxiety. Maybe he didn't think he was a good swimmer. Maybe it actually allowed him to swim. It was like a (laughs) floaty. It just had floaties? (laughs) Yeah. Rather than put like an orange floaty on him, they're like, let's give him this vest that kind of floats a little bit and that'll make it feel better.
1: Oh, What an adorable penguin. I'm glad he grew his feathers back. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, he was also undergoing some kind of hormonal treatment, and it's unclear if the hormones caused his balding in the first place or if it helped him get his feathers back. Like, I didn't really understand that part of it when I was researching it, but um, suffice to say, having had chickens that went bald, so to speak, uh, we would have to put little capes on them to protect them so that their feathers had time to grow back. But they weren't, like, diagnosed bald. They were just, like, being attacked by other chickens. Oh, man.
1: I want to see. What kind of vest did you make them wear? Oh, I, no.
0: I Yeah, like, I found it on Etsy. It was, like, a little chicken cape because what happened is is the birds would, the other birds would, like, pull their feathers out, but also the rooster, like, seemed to favor her, so he would jump on her back, like, all the time, and that just tore that shit up. By the way, we're gonna do an episode on bird sex.
1: Oh, for sure. We're definitely gonna do one about ducks and a bunch of other crazy stuff.
0: Why do ducks come to mind as the craziest sex to you? Because
1: they have those corkscrew penises and puzzle vaginas.
0: Oh, yeah, we need to do this episode. Like, maybe we should stop recording and just go record that episode.
1: This is a good lead in to the next bird I'm gonna talk about because his name was Dick. Hey, oh. Always comes back to the
0: dicks, apparently, with us. I
1: know, we're so mature. We're going to talk about Dick the Mockingbird. So a few president's wives have kept pet birds, including Dolly Madison, who had a pet macaw named Polly, and Martha Washington, who had a parrot and who was also named Polly.
0: So original, ladies.
1: (laughs) I know. They're like really killing it out there. But President Thomas Jefferson probably had the most famous bird in the White House. While it's super shitty that Thomas Jefferson got Dick the Mockingbird, as well as two other mockingbirds, from one of his father-in-law's slaves, we're here to talk about Dick's lasting impression on Jefferson. So as a species, wild mockingbirds are much more prevalent near Jefferson's Monticello home, which is near the Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. However, they were not present there when Jefferson first brought in his few mockingbirds, including Dick, in the year of 1793. According to Jefferson's friend, Margaret Bayard Smith, Dick was the constant companion of Jefferson's solitary and studious hours. Dick's cage was suspended among the roses and geraniums in the window recesses of the presidential cabinet. Smith said that Jefferson cherished Dick with peculiar fondness for not only for his melodious powers, but for the bird's uncommon intelligence and affectionate disposition of which we're going to talk about some weird affection this bird showed. Well, maybe more Thomas Jefferson showed to the bird. So Thomas Jefferson would allow Dick to eat from his lips and hop up on the stairs after Jefferson when the president would retire to his chambers. Dick also sang on the couch when Jefferson tried to take naps in the afternoon. Jefferson himself said the mockingbird is a superior being in the form of a bird, and dick stuck out as one of his favorites i think it's disgusting that he let this bird eat from his mouth but we're gonna keep going i just i mean I had
0: to... people are weird like people let dogs lick their faces and stuff too like it's yeah just but gross. like
1: a dog licking your face versus like you like opening your mouth and having a bird's like stick its head in there and get in there
0: okay from his lips
1: what is he, like, pursing? What is he doing? Putting birdseed on there and pursing his
0: mouth and going... No, I'm thinking he's like, hey, take this half, other half of this french fry. I think he was, like, lady in oh, the trampoline. Oh, I... I don't think he was, like, <laughs> regurgitating food like a mother bird. Oh, I my imagine, God. That would be so fucking weird.
1: I imagine him reclining on the couch, pursing his lips, staring at the ceiling, and allowing the bird to just, like, peck out of the little bowl he had made from his lips.
0: N- nope. I... That... I okay, don't think nope, that is nope, what happened.
1: Okay, okay, I, I went...
0: That would have been described in a much different manner.
1: <laughs> okay, maybe you're right. I mean, I just I just took this off the rails a little bit. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'll... I i do not want to know how you would feed your young... Yeah, God. ...anymore. Yeah, that's going to be dangerous.
1: Don't let me get a bird. Well, for these birds, when Jefferson originally bought them, it was believed they only came with a few songs they could sing. And it's believed that Jefferson actually provided additional musical instruction to the birds. Jefferson butler said that the bird's songs included popular American, Scottish, and French tunes, as well as imitations of all the other birds in the woods. Some of his mockingbirds joined Jefferson in France in 1784. After traveling on the ocean for a month, the birds interspersed their first European performances with long imitations of the creaking of
0: the ship's timbers. I think that's fascinating.
1: I think it's insanely fascinating what they choose to imitate and what they pick up on. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool. So yeah, that was a that was besides the sharing food from his mouth and the bird like singing to him as he slept, like the weird love they had. This
0: bird's really cool. I wish we lived somewhere where we could observe mockingbirds because I'm fascinated by them. Oh, I think they're so cool.
1: Since mockingbirds sound like what are <laughs> they're mocking, you could definitely do a mockingbird impression. I
0: wonder if I could do the creaking of ship's timbers.
1: Grrr okay now we just sound like we're making noises for a horror movie monster
0: you know we didn't even sing this song what song from from dumb and dumber i do
1: not remember that song at
0: all mock yeah aim yeah bird yeah 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 my Birdo. Oh, everybody have you have you heard dude when they're singing in the car with the <laughs> gas man see I love every scene in Dumb and Dumber it is by far I've not I've watched that is a movie I've watched more than any movie in my entire life I
1: love that movie but I am not good at remembering quotes from that movie
0: oh see I don't quote many movies just Dumb and Dumber (laughs) I think I actually only quote Dumb and Dumber anytime I'm quoting a movie i have a quote for every circumstance from that movie apparently you do because it just really worked in our (laughs) podcast right now maybe that should be my new goal to try and quote dumb and dumber in every episode i think you should
1: and our listeners just listen and comment on the episode for the dumb and dumber quote
0: all right going
1: forward challenge accepted challenge accepted i'm never gonna know so just be in the dark about it (laughs) Rufus the Hawk, who was not in the movie Dumb and Dumber, and I'm pretty sure Mo doesn't have a quote for, is a Harris Hawk, and he's used by the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club to keep pigeons away. The reason it's important that he's used by the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club, super long name, is that they take care of the place where the Wimbledon championships are held, and the club calls him an important member of the Wimbledon family. As a side note, if you are a tennis person or want to watch some tennis, the tournament is currently going on until July 14th. So Rufus gets a run of the 42-acre grounds, and on the grounds, he works periodically during the year. He was working during the 2012 Summer Olympics in London, and then during the two-week Wimbledon championship, which takes place every year, he works every single day on the courts. He also has some side jobs to scare pigeons away from hospitals, airfields, landfill sites, and Westminster Abney. So some drama that occurred in Rufus's life is one night in 2012, he was stolen from the back of his owner's car, which caused global outcry. The media called Rufus the world's most notable bird and one of Britain's best known birds. So normally, They would prevent this from happening because he wears a radio transmitter so that he he can be tracked, but it's removed at night so he can sleep, so they couldn't find him when he was stolen. Rufus, though, we assume magically escaped and was found three days later in the Wimbledon Common area, which is a large recreational space in the greater London. He was healthy except for a slight sore on his leg. Thank freaking God. He carries an official Wimbledon security card and has the job title of Bird scarer, which sounds amazing. And he has his own Twitter and Facebook, which does make him, I think, a pretty freaking famous bird. Um, Also, I love that he was kidnapped and then immediately returned because someone was like, God damn it, this bird is so annoying. Why did I steal a bird?
0: I get, yeah, like, and they still don't know who stole him. They don't know if it was like one thief or multiple thieves or if it was like a somebody else who wanted to have a hawk or raised hawks or something and was jealous of Rufus's status as like the most badass hawk in London like I don't know another hawk stole him and was like I want your job
1: and then he also realized it's probably a hard fucking job it's got to be a hard job yeah I would not want to scare away pigeons for a living they're like everywhere so Mo what's the last famous
0: bird we have to talk about And the last famous bird we have to talk about is Gertie the Duck. Love that name. I don't know. They don't really say who named her. I'm assuming that the reporter named her. But okay, so Gertie the Duck, her story began in April of 1945 when a Milwaukee Journal outdoor writer reported on a mallard duck that was nesting under a bridge in downtown Milwaukee. Throngs of visitors stopped at the bridge daily to check on the progress of the expectant mother who had laid nine eggs in her nest. What? Okay, can we pause? What is going on in this town in 1945? That uh, it's Milwaukee. Dude, but that not everyone's just like, oh, you hear this? There's a bird under the bridge. We got to go check it out. I think that it's a wartime thing, you know, like, like, that's kind of what they attributed to her her fame to is the fact that it was like during the war, it was like near the end of the war, but the war was still going on. And people like were just like super down and depressed. And this duck was like the highlight of their life and like kind of was inspirational in a way because... I don't know anything about this bridge either, but I guess that where she laid her her nest was maybe, like, not the best place to have laid a nest, like, underneath a bridge. Um I don't know.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: So in May, this was in April, that they first started writing about her laying under her nest under the bridge. And in May, readers sent in Mother's Day cards for her, because she was expecting. Uh, And similar to the volunteer work that I'm doing here in Chicago for the piping plovers on Montrose Beach, the Boy Scouts formed a Gertie Patrol. Also, a Wisconsin Humane Society officer was stationed to watch over the mother and her nest. Eventually, six of the nine eggs ended up producing chicks. In total, the series of articles written by the journal spanned 37 days. Gertie and her nest were photographed by the Milwaukee Journal and the local rival Milwaukee Sentinel, trying to get in on the hot news. You know, uh, Gertie was also featured in Life Magazine oh and had a front-page story in United Kingdom's Daily Express. Reader's Digest also ran a story on Gertie entitled "The Duck That Made Milwaukee Famous." <laughs> Poor Milwaukee! <laughs> Poor Milwaukee! Like they've been producing beer for a while, and it was ended up being this duck that got them on the map.
1: Oh my God, that's awesome
0: kind of going back to your point like it is kind of weird that this duck had to be so famous but they they do think that the fact that it was wartime and like sort of her heroic efforts to raise these ducklings were sort of inspiring to a lot of people who are just sick of hearing about the war and the depressing news from overseas all the time
1: no I'd follow a duck right now that would make me happy
0: Dude maybe we need we need a new Gertie we need Gertie 2020 Oh is what we my god? So somehow, despite flooding and storms and a nearby fire that was took place on a bridge... Oh
1: my God, what's going on on this bridge?
0: I think that the Milwaukee Bridge here is the unsung hero yeah, of this, this Gertie is, the Duck story. this bridge
1: is keeping Gertie going.
0: Yeah. Uh, luckily, five of the ducklings ended up surviving, as did Gertie. And they were actually put on public... This this part just I don't understand. The ducks were put on public display in the nearby Gimbel's department store windows where more than 2 million visitors stopped in to see them uh, and their famous little feathered family. The ducks were later relocated to the Juno Park Lagoon on Milwaukee's lakefront.
1: So you realize whoever worked at this department store had to clean up so much duck shit.
0: How about the fact that they had to somehow get these ducks inside the store window in the first place? Yeah, that seems kind of cruel. So... Things end up being all right for Gertie, though. So in 1997, American artist Gwendolyn Gillen created a four-foot-tall bronze statue of Gertie. You can find the statue near Gertie's original home, the Wisconsin Avenue Bridge in downtown Milwaukee.
1: Okay, we have to go get a picture taken with Gertie.
0: We do. We definitely do. I think that this should be on our bird bucket list.
1: Getting a photo with the Gertie statue. Yep. I cannot believe that this duck became so famous because there are constantly animals putting nests in places that they shouldn't
0: it's so true and and i don't know what it is about this particular bridge that was so bad or so ideal from gertie's perspective but
1: maybe gertie was sick of the war and she's like god i'm just gonna lay my eggs here i'm so over it just gonna start yeah like where's
0: her where's her husband huh
1: off in the war he get drafted yeah he got drafted
0: The Drafted Mallard.
1: The first Drafted Mallard ever.
0: He's probably over there with Jimmy Stewart Little. Oh,
1: my God. Jimmy Stewart Little is going to be the best combo (laughs) movie ever.
0: Can we just, like, I think we need to revisit that, because that is, like, one of the funniest name jams that I've ever heard. I love it. I love it so much. Jimmy Stewart Little. Jimmy
1: Stewart Little. And it's Jimmy Stewart, like, with, like, he looks very much like Jimmy Stewart, but with mouse features. And it's going to be really CGI and very scary. And he rides a motorcycle in it. And his whole thing is... Should we just, like, combine all of the, like, movies he's been in and make it into a plot as him as a mouse? Like, at first he's spying on his neighbor, who he thinks is a murderer because he he got in a motorcycle accident. So now all he can do is hang out around in the house and look out the windows. But then he recovers very quickly, but develops a sense of vertigo. And he also... He's been in too many movies. We'd have to choose.
0: I was going to say, I feel like all you really did was talk about Hitchcock movies yeah. that featured Jimmy Stewart for a minute. Yep. I was like, uh, actually, Jimmy Stewart ended up being in, like, how many movies was he in? I got to look at it. Up. Okay, how many movies was he in? But a lot of them were Hitchcock. He was in a bunch of them. He was in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That was a great one. A, the Philadelphia great. Story, Anatomy of a Murder. Um, he was, oh my god, he's, he's credited with 100 movies.
1: Holy cow. Oh, how are we going to put all those into one?
0: <laughs> well, I did not know he lived. He lived until 1997. Yeah. Wow. He was the voice of Wiley in uh, An American Tale, Fife Goes West. I loved that movie so much. I know. It's because you didn't know it at the time, but it's because of Jimmy Stewart.
1: Man, maybe you should listen to that to hone your impression. And
0: actually, he fucking was a mouse. Oh, my God. Yeah, duh. Oh, my God. Let's just verify that Wiley was a mouse. He was a great Dane. Oh, man. That's
1: uh, our talk on famous birds. We've covered a wide range of birds and a wide range of reasons why they were famous. We hope that you really enjoyed listening to us jabber on about some famous birds. There are so many more famous birds. Um, If you listen to this and you have another famous bird, you want to hashtag in our comments go for it or if you want to hashtag which one was your favorite i'm really bad at hashtags so (laughs) i was gonna say i was like i don't know what those hashtags are gonna
0: benefit anyone hashtag
1: alex the parrot
0: is great i don't know there actually was a hashtag uh hashtag find rufus when rufus was kidnapped okay yeah that's actually fuck all the hashtags i said just hashtag find rufus and
1: we know you'll listen to the podcast
0: hashtag found rufus yeah found hashtag in bird
1: shit podcast yeah found him in there god my dad keeps texting me about a pizza he bought for seven dollars and it looks like shit <laughs> 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 what? i don't understand so he like keeps texting me like here's a photo of the pizza it looks like
0: garbage What is is he mad because oh that pizza looks really bad yeah, it looks terrible <laughs> it's like got like Like So wait, is he mad? Because to me, a $7 pizza is like, you should never be complaining about that. No,
1: he was like, mod pizza. Doesn't it look great? Only $7. $7! Exclamation point. $7.
0: So he's excited about the fact that it was $7, not about the fact that it looks like shit. Yeah,
1: it looks like shit. Like, it's not even a uniform pizza shape, which, like, I don't really care about the shape. But, like... It's artistic. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's got like green olives, pepperoni, red onion, banana it's peppers. It's got raw red onion. Yeah, raw though. red onion. That's weird. This is disgusting.
0: Yeah, but your dad's going to be feeling that later. Oh,
1: God. I don't understand. But yeah, I got like 200 text messages about it. Sorry. Only $7. Only $7 for garbage pizza you could have made for $4.
0: Yeah, so if anybody has any other famous birds we missed, feel free to find us on Instagram at Birdship Podcast. Don't forget to to a, <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say tweet, but then I was like, don't do that. But actually, you should tweet at at Rufus the Hawk because he's on Twitter. Yeah, dude, Rufus has ten thousand followers.
1: He needs more, still, probably, right?
0: Oh yeah. Um. Oh man. Also, his profile pic is like super sexy. Are
1: you gonna develop a relationship like Thomas Jefferson and Dick, where you're just like Rufus? You want to come over and eat out of my mouth? You want to sing to me while I sleep? Uh, maybe.
0: But hopefully not. I can't believe that you just looked at his Twitter photo and you're like, yeah, this bird's hot. As somebody who's not into birds of prey, they did a pretty good job with his... Like, if you can make me say that and I'm not into birds of prey, I'm feeling feel like it's a pretty good pick.
1: I'm probably going to drool when I see it. Damn, you mean this close-up where you can just see his eyeball?
0: Yeah, but, like, it looks good.
1: Okay, everyone go look at this photo and then tell Mo how wrong she is with the hashtag rufus not hot hawk because it's just a picture (laughs) of his eyeball and like a balding spot near his eyeball and then part of his beak like okay fine it looks like he's smiling i mean i'm leaning into the personality part of it a little but
0: he's like smiling he's also just stoic yeah
1: Ooh, i don't know girl i don't know what's wrong with you
0: thanks to everyone who voted to make this episode possible we will be coming out with new episodes And one of them will be the losing one from our vote. No one's ever a loser on this podcast.
1: Let's just be real. Except the host. Yeah, except for the host. We're big losers. Love it just love living that loser life um our podcast c- drops on tuesdays so we'll always have a reminder on our instagram when it drops sometimes wednesday you know if life gets in the way shit happens you all know you all got adult jobs and lives that you're living you're out there in the world and sometimes you're like oh man i was gonna do this thing and then you don't because you ate popcorn and drank too much wine and you fell asleep on the couch at seven o'clock
0: uh thank you for listening to Birdship Podcast. Yeah,
1: thanks guys keep your eyes to the sky